Welcome to the Soma Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope what you hear fills your heart with hope and purpose. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and share it with friends. Here's today's message. Good morning and welcome to Southern Church. We're super excited about starting off this brand new series with you. I'm going to test your Bible knowledge right out the front, right out the gate this morning. So I want you to complete these verses with me if you can. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Wow, that was awesome. Let's give a little bit more of a college try there. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Good. All right. Who the Son sets free is free... If, see if you know this one. Different words, so it's free... Indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. free. I want to pay special attention to that second verse, especially because I believe it's God's intention for us to truly be free indeed. We're starting a brand new message series this, uh, this, this month and next month, and par- perhaps even beyond Easter, but certainly uh, Easter is going to be kind of the culmination of what we're going to be doing in the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus is all about freedom. What does freedom really, truly look like? There was an um, elderly couple, and they've been saving for a long time for this great retirement vacation that they wanted to go on. And uh, they happened to go to a fair, and uh, there was a helicopter operator there offering uh, rides to go over the city and, and to look at the city from a helicopter. And the husband looked at his wife, and he said, Babe, I really want to go on this helicopter ride. It's a bucket list thing. I've really wanted to do this. And she said, Look at the sign. $50 is $50. We can't do that. We're trying to save money. It's not in the budget. Raise your hand if you have one of those in your house. Just kidding. Don't do that. Um, it's not in the Dave Ramsey plan. Uh, so she said, $50 is $50. We can't do that. And so the helicopter operator comes up to the couple and he says, hey, I couldn't help but um, hear that you guys were discussing. You know? And he said, what if I cut it in half and, and we cut it down to 25 And then the husband looks at the wife and the wife says, $25 is $25, honey. Probably says, $25 is $25, Harold. That's just in my mind. His name is Harold. Um, and, 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 and so the helicopter pilot is just really feeling bad for the dude, and the dude looks defeated. And, and so he says, all right, listen, I, I'll make a wager. We'll do a deal. If you can go on this helicopter ride and you don't make a single peep, a single noise, the whole helicopter ride will give it to you for free. And so the husband looks at the wife, and the wife says, all right, we'll do it. Um, and so they jump on the helicopter ride, and that helicopter pilot takes that thing zooming off into the air. He's going left and right, and he's going as fast as he possibly can. The wife is back in the back of that helicopter, gritting her teeth and hanging on for dear life. And he sees, okay, well, we're going to have to up the ante here. They haven't made a single noise. And so he does loop-de-loops, and he does everything that he can to make that couple go nuts back there. And so he's, he's focused on what he's doing, and he does the best that he can, but nope, they didn't make a peep. And so he finally lands, and then... He says, all right, guys, well, uh, I, guess, uh, I guess you did it. You didn't make a single peep. And he looks back, and he sees that it's just the husband, and the wife is nowhere to be seen. And he said, oh, my God, what happened? And he said, well, when you were doing one of those loop-de-loops, my, my wife fell out of the helicopter, but, hey, $25 is $25. So, so he didn't say anything. Now, he may have had a free helicopter ride, and he may be wife-free at this point in time, but uh, how many of you know that's not necessarily the kind of freedom that Jesus wants us to have? And that's not the freedom that the Bible talks about when it says that God wants you to be free, and free indeed. He wants you to be truly free. 
the book of Exodus is called Exodus because it's about the story of God's people, the Israelites, who are now slaves in Egypt. It's about their story of freedom, what God does to set them free, to take them into the wilderness, and then to eventually take them to a land called the promised land, God's promise for God's people. So that's, that's the idea, is that God wants to take them out. And that's even what the word Exodus means. It means to come out of. That's what the word Exodus means. But perhaps even a better way of kind of trying to help you understand the whole of the book of Exodus is to help you understand the Hebrew name for the book of Exodus. And the Hebrew original name is the word Shemot. It's the word Shemot. And, and that word literally means these are the names because that's how the book of Exodus starts off. So, so in other words, these are the names of blah, 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 so-and-so. These are the names of the Israelites. So it's a book that's kind of about the history of the Israelites and, and who they are at this point in time. But whether this is intended or not, it's inevitably true that it's also a book of the names of God. I mean, you've got the name Elohim for the first time being spoken. You've got the name Jehovah. You've got the, the name Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And you've got the name Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. Or in other words, the Lord who gives us victory. And we'll get to that eventually. It's one of my, my favorite names uh, of the Jehovah names in, in the Bible. And so all these names are revealed all in the book of Exodus. So it's also not just a book of the names of God's people, but it's also a book of the names of God. And, and here's what I would say, is the more you know who God is, the more you allow yourself to go deeper in relationship with him, the more freedom you will know. The more it will impact who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. God wants you to be truly free. He wants you to be free from depression. He wants you to be free from anxiety. Come on, he wants you to be free from frustration. He wants you to be free from doing it your way. And he wants you to be free from a life without faith. He wants you to be free from, from anxiety. He wants you to be free. He wants you to be free from pornography. He wants you to be free from alcohol. He wants you to be free from substance abuse. He wants you to be truly, truly free. And to help you understand kind of what the nature of real freedom looks like, let's go back to that motif, this slavery, wilderness, promise. And you can take your worship guides out because I want to bring something to your attention. This is a little bit backwards, but, but this is the way we're going to do it this morning. Go to the very back of your worship guides. And you will see this is the, the thesis, the summary of everything we will be doing in the book of Exodus, right here on the back of this page. So God's people are slaves in Exodus. And then he sends them to the wilderness. Okay, And in that wilderness experience, God is doing something to prepare them for the promised land. So as you see on the back, this will kind of elaborate it for you all. God wants to get you out of Egypt, but once you come out of Egypt, He's not done. He also wants to get Egypt out of you. He wants to help you with some of the issues that still stick around from your days back in Egypt. I'll put it to you this way. Um, God wants you to go to heaven one day, right? God's granted you eternal life. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. That, that, that he bought with his precious blood. He wants you to be saved, and he wants to take you to heaven. But before you get to heaven, he wants to put a little bit of heaven in you before you ever get there. He wants to make your ride on this earth victorious, spirit-filled, powerful, and meaningful, and significant. God wants that for you. And so the wilderness experience that we'll see, and this is how the book is broken up. It'll go a chunk 
First little bit of chunk is slavery. The next chunk is in the wilderness. And then the next chunk is to kind of help them find their place in, in the promised land for where God wants to take them. So that wilderness experience, before they get to the promised land, the purpose of that wilderness experience is to do this, is to help these people who were once slaves to, to not only be free externally, but to be free internally, so that when they go to the promised land, they will be able to appreciate it and enjoy it and celebrate it and not just go there physically. So God wants true freedom for them. I'll put it to you in the way of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass said this. He said, there is a difference between governmental freedom and personal freedom. And of course, you probably know Frederick Douglass is the former slave that taught himself to, free, uh, taught himself to read and freed himself from slavery and, uh, and eventually became a politician of sorts and, and fought for the emancipation of black people. And Frederick Douglass said there's a difference between governmental freedom and personal freedom. Governmental freedom is something that's given to you by the government and the government can take it away from you. Personal freedom is freedom that comes from within. It's freedom for your mind. It's freedom for your emotions. It's freedom that no one can take from you. So you may live in a free country here today. You may live in America, the land of the free, but, but are you personally free? See, because America can take that right away from you if it was given to you, but if you're free inside, nobody can ever take that from you. Um, it's said of Cubans under the Castro regime that they didn't know that they were poor until they finally got American television pumped in to their homes and they saw Americans for the first time, and of course it's a communist dictatorship, and they didn't allow um, American television to come into their homes until a certain point in time. But it says that once they finally started watching American television, it was then that they finally realized that they were poor. They didn't know that they were poor before that because everybody else was poor. The only people that they had to judge it against was everybody else they were living around. That's the problem with judging based upon a standard uh, that's human rather than judging it based upon the standard that is godly, that he, what God's desire is for each and every one of us. Come on, there's, there's some of you who need to spend some time looking to see what God says in his word, above and beyond what preachers say, above and beyond what your friends say, and, and see what God says about who he's called you to be so that you don't just establish a standard for your life that pales in comparison to what God's actually called you to. That's just extra. I didn't even plan to, I didn't even write that down. Um, but the point is this, is that true freedom is something that's not based upon what you see. It's something that's based upon what God does inside of each and every one of us. And so I have this question for you that's on the back of your worship guide. If you really believe that full surrender to God meant freedom, what would your life look like right now? Right now, if you really believe that full surrender to Jesus Christ meant freedom, what ways would your life be different? What ways would you be doing things differently if that's what you truly believed? And that's the sum total of what we're going to be trying to address here in everything that we do today. It's this idea of God taking you out of Egypt, maybe God saving you, if you will, saving you from your sin. But then here's where we're all at, no matter where we're at, no matter how long we serve the Lord. God wants to take Egypt out of you because because there's maybe a little bit still left over of that way of thinking, um, that, that slave mentality 
that came with the way that you were raised or the way that your culture teaches you how to live that, that God wants to get out of you because he's got better living for each and every one of us here this morning. If you want that for your life, say amen. amen. All right, so we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 1 today, and I'm going to share a message with you entitled Prisoners No More. Prisoners No More. I believe that that's what God wants for us, and that's, I believe, the sum total of what this uh, little chapter of, of Scripture is all about. Is it takes a look at people who may be slaves but refuse to act like it. And starting in verse 1 in Exodus chapter 1, it says this, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. So what you should know about this just simply is that Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So Exodus is a continuation of the very first book of the Bible. And they're kind of keeping us up to speed with what's taken place since the very last chapter of Genesis. And then it says in verse 7, But the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so they're taking over Egypt, in other words. And this is the key verse here that I want to talk to you about. And now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So there was a king, a pharaoh, if you will. By the way, pharaoh is just another way of saying king. There was a pharaoh who took over that did not know who Joseph was. And of course, if you do know the book of Genesis, you know Joseph is the last character, one of the Israelite um, forefathers who is spoken about in the very last chapter of Genesis. So they're kind of given this addendum, like this is what happened after Joseph. Now, why is it important that they did not know who Joseph was? If you will, you can go ahead and open your worship, guys. We're going to get to the very first point. Under reflect, you'll see a, a blank space where you can begin to kind of uh, fill in the blanks here and slowly but surely throughout the message here today, we'll go through these blanks. I would encourage you to look at that first page too. And as we jump into this message series, don't just let this be something that Reed prepares for and then you listen to, but let this be something that you come ready and equipped for on, on Sunday mornings. In fact, if you want to go ahead and start reading the book of Exodus and go through it on your own time, it's going to enrich your moments here. And it's going to make your time here even that much more impactful. And there's some tips here with how you can truly make that um, this going into this new series a little bit more impactful, a little bit more special. So, um, so read through those things on your own time. But under reflect on that second page, um, I, want to, I want to show you why in that first chunk of scripture, why is it important that there was a king that did not know who Joseph was? The first thing I think is probably kind of obvious, but here's and, and hopefully this will apply to you and hopefully it will challenge you. The reason it's important that there was not somebody who knew Joseph is that Joseph was an Israelite, a believer in God. And the Egyptians were synonymous polytheists. They worshipped a whole bunch of different gods. In fact, we'll show how some of their belief system rubs off on the Jews and they worship golden calves. They worship golden idols. You guys are probably familiar with it. You've seen some of these, uh, the Isis and these dog-faced god. You've seen some of these uh, gods that the Egyptians worshipped back in the day. Um, and, and they were synonymous polytheists, but, but Joseph was somebody that was not. He was a monotheist. He believed in the one true God, and, and, and he was somebody in a position of power. And so he had a voice, and he used that voice to try to impact the, the society that he was a part of. And so I think the first thing that you can understand is that that. Whenever there is a righteous person or righteous people, 
and they do not speak up, society suffers for it. Um, the fact that there was a righteous person in proximity to one of the leaders of Egypt made a huge difference in what kind of society Egypt was. And so I only share that with you just to say this. Whether you know it or not, you matter. Whether you know it or not, your voice makes a difference. And if the people of God refuse to speak, it will make an impact in society. It will make a difference. And if you do decide to speak, it will also make an incredible difference. Because I'm going to show you what happens here in just a minute when there ceases to be godly people who speak about the one true God openly to, to other people. Because it will ultimately turn into a wicked society. But more importantly, this is what I want to share with you here this morning. Is that, is that when Joseph no longer had a say-so in what was taking place and the Pharaoh no longer knew who Joseph was, he lost his connection with the one true God. He lost his connection with righteous people. He lost his connection with the word of God. When he lost all of that, the people became slaves. Because that's what's about to happen. Now, we'll see this here in just a minute, but that's what's going to happen. The people of Israel are going to become the slaves of the Egyptians. And so here is this first blank that I want you to fill in. It's, and, and, and here is this encouragement to each and every one of you. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. One of the most common exhortations in the Bible, um, the very first, by the way, the very first for those of you who want to know, the very first commandment and the most common commandment given in the Bible is to do not be afraid. All right? Probably on par with that, perhaps second, but given incredibly often in the Bible is this command to remember. So don't forget. Because the reality is, is with the passage of time, we can forget how good God has been to us in the past. Let me give this to you in terms of uh, our book of Exodus here this morning and what will happen later on in the story. For those of you who know it, you'll be familiar with this, is that uh, eventually the Israelites, um, spoiler alert, will be delivered and be set free. And when they finally make it into the wilderness or the desert that's, that's untamed, and they're on their way to the promise, they will start complaining and bickering and whining because things aren't going the way they thought it would. In other words, they're still acting like slaves, even though God has set them free. And one of the first things that they'll say to Moses is, what did you do? You brought us out here in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, just, just so that we could die? Like, why would you bring us out here just, just to kill us? And, and they're complaining because they don't have any food. And they'll say this to Moses. Now get this. Former slaves. And you're going to see about how bad this can get here in just a minute, but I'll explain it to you too. They say we had leeks and we had garlic back in Egypt. We had food back there. And now we're struggling. And now we don't have the food that... That, that you promised us, Moses, or the food that we thought we should have at this point in time. At least we had food back there in Egypt. Now, how ridiculous is that? Seriously, how silly is that, that they're complaining that they don't have food, but they did back in Egypt where they were slaves? Have they forgotten that they were whipped? Have they forgotten so quickly that they were over a tyrant, a dictator, who even eventually will say to them, if you have a son... We're going to kill it. 
That's eventually what will happen. We'll read that here in just a minute. But he says, all of the male children of Israel, kill them. And, and we don't want male. We only want females. There's too many males. There's too many of you. And so he starts doing genocidal things to the Israelites. And all of these Israelites have already forgotten because they're a prisoner of the moment how good God has been. Listen, guys, I, I want to encourage you here today because one of the most powerful things you can do while you're waiting is to remind yourself of what God has done in the past. Because if you get caught up just in the moment, you'll forget what He's done for you in the past. And it will impact your future. And I don't think you should ever dictate your future based upon merely your present. You need to go back and see what God has done, whether that be in the Word of God, or go back in your mind, in your memory banks, and say, listen, we've been here before, but do you remember what God did back then? Especially when you're going through times of difficulty. It's so important. So you have a decision today. You can either be a prisoner of the moment or you can be a person of faith. You can either complain that you're not seeing what you want God to do in your life right now and what you believe He's called you to do. Or maybe even what the Word of God says. You ever been there before? Like, I believe that God wanted to do this in my life, but yet I'm not there and I'm not seeing that come to fruition if, if you've ever been to that place and you're struggling in your present, I want to encourage you to do this. Become a person of faith by going back, whether to the Word of God or whether it's back to your history as you've served God, and remind yourself, but do you remember what He did then? Do you remember the miracle that, that He performed then? And maybe if you haven't served God long enough, you, just need to, you need to just open up the Word of God and encourage yourself with this. Listen, when Abraham... It's the father of, of all of these people now, the Israelites. When, when he was following God in the desert and, and, and he was going from his father's land, God spoke to Abraham, the patriarch of the Jews. God spoke to him and he said, your people are going to be so vast and so powerful that they're going to dwell in a land that I'm promising you. And there's going to be so many of them, they'll be like the stars in the sky. Too much for you to number. And they'll be like the sand in the seashore. Too many of them to number. In other words, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you really, really good. That's the promise God spoke to him. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. 400 years since God promised Abraham. Now we find Abraham's descendants, the people of Israel, 400 years later, slaves. What do you think they thought about that promise? For 400 years, you've promised us this, and this is what we've gotten. But they didn't know that God had something powerful planned for them in the future, that he was going to deliver them in the future, that he had something more than they could possibly imagine for them in the future because they became prisoners of the moment and they forgot that God is good no matter what. Perhaps this story, I think, probably sums it up real well, how we have the capacity for, to forget. Um, around 312... A guy named Constantine, who's the emperor of Rome at the time, he is converted to Christianity. And prior to that, maybe you've read the Bible and you know this, prior to that, guess what happened to Christians? They were being killed, they were being maimed, and they were being persecuted. In fact, you even hear stories of Nero stringing up Christians, um, and there's some debate about whether this is true or not, but nonetheless, there is some Christian tradition that Nero would um, put tar and pitch all over Christians and then... Um, impale them, put them up in the city streets, and light them on fire so that Rome would be lit by night with the bodies of Christians. And so 
um, fast forward a little bit, in 312, the guy who is now the emperor of Rome has a dream, and he's converted to Christianity. Now, there's a bunch of historians who have some issues with whether or not it's authentic or whether it's real or whether it's just uh, political for Constantine to convert to Christianity. So I really don't care what... Um, about any of that because the point is different. So Constantine converts to Christianity. And then around 325, he calls something called the Council of Nicaea. And there he gathers all the Christian leaders that he possibly can together in one room. And it is there where they kind of codify what it means to be a Christian. And then officially, whether it uh, is done by government or just by osmosis, officially, the, the, the religion for the Roman Empire is now Christian. Now, you may think, oh, that's a great history lesson, but I want you to think about this, guys. Go there with me if you can. Sitting in this room are men who have lost hands, who have had their eyes burned out with hot, flaming pokers, um, Men who have been persecuted run for their lives for ages. And they're all sitting in this room in the, in the presence of the emperor as he says, no longer will you run anymore. You're free. We're going to change our polytheistic belief from all of these different gods in the Roman Empire and now we're going we're to believe in this Jesus. It was a moment to celebrate. It was a moment that changed the face of history. The, the pagan Romans are now Christians. Fast forward again, 70 years, and perhaps even some of these same men who were sitting around the table who had, who had fought for their faith are now persecuting non-believers and saying, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, we will kill you or we will punish you until you eventually, um, until you eventually repent and recant and become a Christian, Right? Isn't that crazy? 70 years and these Christians have forgotten what it was like to be persecuted and now they are the persecutors. This is what happens when we have a small memory with God. Is that it will affect our walk of faith. And so you truly have a decision here this morning. Do you want to be a person of faith? Have a long memory. So you're going through one of the darkest seasons of your life right now. And so you've been believing God for, for things for over a year now, two years. Or, or maybe you believe God for something and, and, and it didn't happen the way you thought it would. And, 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 you, and you don't know whether you can believe him this time. Would you stand up as a person of faith and remind yourself that though it didn't happen the, the way I wanted it back then, I still believe. And while I'm waiting, I'm still going to believe. And I'm still going to trust God. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. Let's keep reading. And in verse 9 of Exodus chapter 1, it says this. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. So they're starting to grow in, in, in number. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest we multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them. So this is the beginning of their slavery. To afflict them with heavy burdens, they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar, brick, and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Verse 12, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Now here's our second exhortation. You can fill this in too. Do not be a prisoner of your circumstance. Do not be a prisoner of your circumstance. 
one of the first things it will say about them is that, uh, that God has to take them the long way around to get to the promise because there were enemies in the land that were going to fight them. So one of the first things it says is they're coming out of slavery and now going into the wilderness. It says that God can't give them the direct route. He has to give them the circuitous route. In other words, he has to take them the long way around because they're not ready. And, and, and the, the direct route has enemies and they got to fight. The circuitous route gives them a little bit more time to get ready for their enemies before they finally go into the promised land. So perhaps some of you have even wondered why this is taking longer than expected and how come I seem to be going the long way around. Uh, the reality is, is that what you're experiencing right now is preparation for the future. Come on. I, I, hope, I hope that sticks with you here this morning, is that whenever you're going through difficulty, it is preparation for the future. So they're complaining against Moses, but what they don't realize is that God has their back and he's preparing them through the circumstances that they are now walking through. Boy, it reminds me of, of a quote, and I love this quote. It's by A.W. Tozer. He said this, God will hurt deeply those he aims to use greatly. Another way of saying it is this, is Samuel Chan said this, the level of your leadership can only rise to the level of your pain. So your threshold for pain will determine how good of a leader you will actually be in life. And the reality is, is that, that God will use circumstances and opportunities and even difficulties because he's God and he's on the throne. And you may be asking yourself, God, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? How come that guy took my parking place before me? Shouldn't I have been blessed in the city and blessed in the field and the head and not the tail? How come it's not going the way that I thought it would, God? And this is what you need to remind yourself. Every single time you're going through a circumstance that is adverse, rather than complain about it, you need to remember that God is preparing you through the adversity. That God is raising your level of leadership that, that God wants to use you greatly, but he can only use you greatly if you're ready. One of God's greatest means of discipleship, write this down. One of God's greatest means of discipleship is difficulty. He'll allow you to experience difficulty so that he can disciple you and teach you things that he never taught you before. And if in any other case, I just want to share this with you. God has never lost a battle, guys. You may be going through a hardship right now. Can I just encourage you? God has never lost, not once in his entirety of existence, which is eternity. He's never lost. Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah is mourning the death of the great king Uzziah. Uzziah really was a great king, did lots of great things for the, for the people of Israel. But Uzziah fell from grace, if you want to call it that. It's the wrong way to say it. But he really just sinned against God and, um, and did things that he shouldn't have done. And God takes him off the throne. And God causes him to get leprosy, and eventually he dies from his illness. Um, and Uzziah is praying one day in the temple, and he's seeking God. And, and it says that in this in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, so he's still mourning the loss of this great King Uzziah, it says that Isaiah was in the temple, and he had this vision of God. And this vision of God, he saw God upon the throne, it says, and and it said that the train of his robe filled the temple, filled the church, if you want to call it that. I love that for a lot of reasons. Um, because 
one of the things I love about it is that the train of your robe, um, when a king back then in those days would conquer a foreign army, um, every king had a, a robe. And, and that robe had a, had a train. And you can think like brides. Like they have a train sometimes uh, that follows them behind that sometimes has to be carried or whatever when they're getting married. So it's this, this long thing that comes off the back of, of the robe. Um, and it was said that every time a king would conquer another king, they would cut a piece of fabric from that king's train and then they would sew it to the conquering king's robe as a way of saying, I've got a token of my victory over you. So I took a piece of your train. And so they would uh, sew that piece of fabric for every king that they conquered. They would put that on that, the train of that king's robe. And so when Isaiah saw the king of kings on the throne, um, the real king of kings, not Uzziah, God on the throne, and he saw that the train of his robe was filling the temple. It was God's way of reminding him, in the midst of your mourning, in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your tears, there is a king who is on the throne that is not like Uzziah, that doesn't sin, that is not fallen, that is not weak. There is a king who can do all things and he does all things well and he doesn't waste a circumstance because he's the most economic God on the planet. He will take everything that you've experienced and use it for his good and for his glory. You can trust that. There's a God who's on the throne no matter what happens to you in life. So listen, that's not the hope that you have as an atheist. So I can understand if you have problems with your faith today, you're agnostic, you're atheist, that listen, you don't have that hope. But, but the hope of a Christian is that there is one on the throne. He is in control of the affairs of my life. Now listen, I'm not going to say that that means that he did the hurricane, he did the earthquake, or he, let the for, or he made the forest fire and all those people are being punished as a rap. That's not even what I'm saying. So don't, by extension, kind of misconstrue what I am saying. What I am saying is this, is that if it happens, God allows it. And if God allows it, he's got a purpose for it. If it happens, God allows it. And if he allows it, he's got a purpose for it. There is nothing that God won't use to help you get to where he wants you to be. So when you're in circumstances, don't be a prisoner of your circumstance. Always remind yourself that God is taking you from glory to glory and that he is using your wilderness to prepare you for promise. Write this down. Pain is preparation for the future. Pain is preparation for the future. So they were oppressed, but they multiplied all the more. I love that. I love that. It's because they refused to be prisoners even though they were prisoners. They refused to be slaves even though they were slaves. Listen, if you want to truly be free, it doesn't matter what circumstance you're going through. We'll continue on in verse 15. It says this, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, One of us was named Shifra and the other Pua. It's a great name, right? Name your daughter that. And when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the burstool, if it is a son, you shall kill them. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Now, again, I, I spoke to, about this earlier. So what, what uh, is going on here is that the Pharaoh is saying, if there's a boy, we're going to end this population increase right now so that these guys can't rise up and fight against us. We're going to kill all the fighting men and we're just, just women. We want just women. All right, so that the, the seed of the Israelites can't increase and so that there can be no fighting men. We're going to keep on oppressing these people. I want you to kill all the male babies. Kill them. All right? So something similar akin to that kind of population control thing that took place in China 
um, I think in the early 80s and, and beyond, where they said, hey, you can only have this many children. And if you have any more than that, we're going to help you figure out a way to either abort that child or we're going to or, or we'll force you to have an abortion. And there were forced abortions in China. And so that's what happened. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, uh, oh, but let's go back, 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptians women. And I love that. He's just, she's throwing a little jab in there. It's just because like, you Egyptian women are kind of weak, but these Hebrew women, they're not. Um, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. And so God dealt with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but, if you, but, if you shall let, uh, but you shall let every daughter live. So every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And that's the end of chapter 1 in the book of Exodus. I'll move through this last one pretty quick, but I want to go back into the context of kind of the big idea, the, the big general idea of of God still wanting you to be free even when you experience freedom in Christ as a Christian. So now I'm a Christian, but God wants you to give more freedom and more freedom and more freedom. So in this story, it's interesting to me that the children of Israel will be so afraid and so worried all the time. Even though, get this guys, you know the story probably, even though they will daily be led by a pillar of cloud and fire by night. Now, can I ask you a question? Let's jump out of Sunday school for just a moment and be like, oh, pillar of cloud, fire by night. All right, so if you saw that, would you feel like you got anything to worry about? Like a fire is following you around at night. I'd be like, if anybody came to me and tried to step to me, I'd be like, uh, maybe you missed the fire. I don't know if you know this, but uh, God's got my back. Listen, I, it still didn't affect him, and sometimes it doesn't affect us because there's all sorts of things in the Word of God. I already quoted one of them. Greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. No, you are more than conquerors through Christ. Listen, why do we struggle so much when the Word of God tells us so many things and precious promises that we can take to the bank? It's because we're just like them. We fear. We falter. We fret, we lose our vision, we start focusing on things that don't matter and that really don't pertain to us and that God hasn't called us to focus on. Because if you want to do God's job for him, good luck with that. But I'd rather just place my faith in God and just trust him that he's going to make it all right and that he's got my back and that he is with me no matter what happens. So here's the next and the last thing that you can fill in. Don't be a prisoner to fear. Don't be a prisoner of fear. These women were so brave in the face of danger. I almost want to just kind of cut to the chase here and just say this. Don't you wish once in your life that you stood up and you were brave and you did something? And you did something brave. You did something valiant. That you can say when you lay your head on your pillow at night that, that you live for something worthwhile and you did something truly, truly brave like these women, who were willing to take a stand, and even though they knew their lives were on the line, 
said, no, we're not going to kill these babies because these are God's babies. And maybe you know where I'm going with this already. I talked about this last week. Is it, is it possible that you don't have enemies because you're not taking a stand for what is right? It's not that you're so loving and you're so great and you're just the best Christian on the planet that you don't have enemies. Is it possible that you're compromising the truth of God's word and that's why you don't have enemies? Where are the Christians who, even though it's not popular in society, are going to stand up for the unborn? Listen, while we've been speaking worldwide, okay, every second of this message, a baby has been aborted. It's not a lie. Go look up the statistics for yourself. In a singular day in America, 3,000 babies will be aborted. We're upset because somebody said something mean to us. Can we stand up for something that actually matters with our life? I'm just going to tell you, if, and this has to do with social media, if, if, if you just want to use your social media as a platform to complain, you'll get people who will, who will amen you once, maybe twice, maybe three times, but around the fourth or fifth time, people are going to get tired of enabling your, your, your criticism and your, and your complaining. And the person that they really want to hear from on social media is the Christian who's going to speak faith into a situation, who's going to take a stand and speak the word of God over their situation instead of constantly worrying, doubting, fretting, complaining. Abortion. And let's just, let's just push aside the nonsense, too, with that, because I just want to be real clear here. Let's push aside the nonsense of the, what, like 2% of abortions that take place that are as a result of incest and rape and life for the mother, because that's not really what we're talking about, okay? If you want to have that conversation, I'll have that conversation with you. But when, when that number becomes more normative instead of actually just the regular number for abortions, which the vast majority are just out of convenience, then we can have that conversation, so here's my exhortation to you. Find something to live for that's so important that the pain of failure is outweighed by the pain of complacency. Find something to live for that's so important that the pain of failure is outweighed by the pain of complacency. And maybe this deserves a little bit of uh, kind of explanation. What I mean by that is, is that you are pained by the idea that you might not do this thing so much more um, than the idea that you may fail. Okay? So the pain of failure is really the thing that keeps us from doing most things in our life. Like, we don't do things brave because we're afraid that we may fail. So, so when you really become brave like these women, and you're not a prisoner of fear any longer, you say, I am more concerned with not doing this thing than failing from this thing. Listen, you won't truly live a meaningful and fulfilling life until you've found that one thing that you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I, I am willing to do this thing if it costs me everything, even if I fail, because it's the right thing to do. i got to throw this in here because it's my favorite movie of all time. Hopefully you still love me. Um, Braveheart. It's one of my favorite movies. And when, in one of the speeches that he gives... He says at the end of it, he says, run and you may live, fight and you may die, but many years from now, if you run from this battle, while you're at home 
lying in your bed, would you not give every day from this day to that to come back right here on this battlefield and look our enemies in the eye and say that you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. And so the point is, is that you're not truly living until you've found one thing that you're willing to give your all for and you're willing to stand up for. So what is that thing for you? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the hardest thing about the civil rights movement was not the KKK. It wasn't, it wasn't racist. It wasn't even the government, which the wheels, the wheels of which turn so slow that it's hard to create real, true change in the government. Martin Luther King Jr. said the hardest thing about the civil rights movement was convincing black people that they were free. It was the hardest thing. Can I convince you today that you are free? If I can't convince you of that, can I convince you of this one last thing? That the most attractive thing on the planet is freedom. The most attractive thing on the planet is freedom. And why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because there's only one thing that you can do better on this earth that you won't do better in heaven. Why do we even come to church? It's not for the sake of community. Not entirely. That's part of it. But that's not the main reason. Because guess what? When you get to heaven, community is going to be way better there. And I'm assuming the food, too, if we eat in heaven, which I, which I do believe there will be sushi and Chinese food there. If you don't believe that, that's fine. We'll, we'll fight later. Um, but listen, yeah, you're going to have way better fellowship in heaven. As great as our worship team can be, can, can I just tell you, the worship's way better there. It's way better there. Like, as good as my preaching may be from time to time, whenever I just strike gold, you don't need that there because you got the person himself talking to you directly. Way better than me. Way better than Stephen Furtick. I only assume he's a better dresser too. Who knows? If you like robes, that kind of thing. What's the one thing that you'll do better here than you, that you won't do better there? That's reaching people for Jesus. That's the only thing. You won't need to do it there. Everybody's already reached. But while you're here, you, you're called to reach people. We talked about the great commandment a while back. Um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And there's another great that Jesus gave. Two of the greats that Jesus gave. It's a great commission. Go into all the world. Tell them about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Disciple people. Go tell them about me. And can I tell you the most attractive thing that you've got in your arsenal, the most attractive thing that you can do to reach people for Jesus, which is what we're called to do. This is why you come to church, by the way, is to equip you to go out there. The most attractive thing that you can give to the world is to show them that you're truly free. Free people are attractive. Complainers aren't attractive. Worry words aren't attractive. Faithless people aren't attractive. I'm going to even go one step further and tell you compromisers of your faith, just because of the social setting that you're in and people that can make you compromise what you truly believe based upon peer pressure or whatever the case may be, that's not attractive to other people. Even if you're in a mixed setting, of people who don't even believe like you believe, but you stand up for what you believe in, that's attractive to people. Free people are attractive. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, please check out our channel for past episodes. 
If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing and sharing with friends. For more info about Soma Church, please go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you in person.